All right. I'm going to share with you for a few moments this morning. When it's Christmas time, there's so many different messages that could be shared, all relating to the Christ child being born. But I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And the, the title of today's message is entitled, Another Way. Another way. Have you ever been in, uh, involved in a project or you're working on something or just or life itself and it's kind of feeling routine and it's feeling like you're not getting the results that you're really looking for? And have you ever enter- entertained the thought or just stepped back from a project and said something like this to yourself? There has to be another way. There has to be another way. A better way. Just this last project here in our church lobby, uh, everything's going along smooth except the drywall. The drywall got delayed, and, but then when they're in here and they're sanding the drywall and the flooring's already in, I'm thinking there has to be a better way to put nice walls in and put a nice finish on a wall without having to use spackling and then sand it and dust gets everywhere. <laughs> I mean, has to be a better way. That was the most recent time that I was entertaining that and then my mind kicks into gear thinking, if I could just come up with a better way, that would be very lucrative because I'm sure everyone feels that way when they're doing a, a, a redo project or even a new construction with the, the drywall dust. It's like, it's gotta be a better way. This is the 21st century and we're still creating all this dust, breathing it in and so forth. But there is a... Another way, when you read the scriptures, God is constantly, through the power and the anointing of his Holy Spirit, introducing another way to us. The key is, is are we listening? Are we seeing the signs that he's sending us? Are we hearing the voices that he's using to speak to us? Are we paying attention to perhaps what what may be known as a better way? And so here in Matthew chapter 2, the story of the wise men coming to Jesus in a particular way with with, uh, particular uh, motives, but they leave a different way. So let's begin reading at verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. Everyone say another way. I believe this phrase here, another way, can have multiple uh, 
interpretations to it. Could be geographical, could be spiritual, could be just, just multiple different ways that, that the Holy Spirit can apply it to you. But real quickly, let's just take a moment and let's introduce the wise men to you. you know, who were the wise men that show up and they present their gifts and then they disappear out of the scene another way? First of all, it's doubtful that they were anything like the camel-riding travelers that we usually see portrayed in our Christmas cards and nativity scenes, or like the song, Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, that doesn't really make it true that it was only three. Matter of fact, it's probably more likely that it was at least a band of 50 of them. I mean, can you imagine only traveling three people on a camel going into strange foreign countries without any protection? And so I really think it was more than that. I don't think it was camels. I think it was some really nice horses. But nonetheless, uh, Bible history indicates that they came from the land of the Medes and the land of the Persians, which occupies the land of the east of Palestine, which is today known as uh, Iran. So the wise men or the magi in the Old Testament world were priests of a cultic religion of the ancient Persians. They were active within Babylon and Mesopotamia. Their principal element of worship was fire. They had an, an altar with a perpetual flame that they kept burning, believing that it originated in heaven. They were, even though occult practitioners, they were monotheistic, they believed in one God. Practiced sorcery, wizardry, divination of dreams, witchcraft, and astrology. That's the wise men, occult practitioners. They were the scholars of their time. Thus the name wise men. No Persian could become king unless he first of all mastered the scientific and religious discipline of the Magi. Their teachings became known throughout the then known world and throughout that particular land as the law of the Medes and, the, and, and of the Persians. And it was the highest unalterable law and the people respected it. In the book of Esther, I'll just read some of these verses to you, but in Esther chapter one and verse 13, it says, then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner towards all who knew law and justice. All who knew law and justice. Those closest to him being, then it lists a whole bunch of them there, who they were. And basically, it says, and, and, and they had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. So they were serving within the kingdom, wise individuals. And the, and the kings would consult them and, and ask them to interpret dreams. In the book of Daniel, in uh, chapter 6, I believe it is, in, in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, Now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. It does not alter. In verse 12, it says, And they spoke before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. And there's other verses as well you can look up. Of chapter 4 and verse 7, chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. But primarily what the, ref the reference here is, is that these wise men were occult practitioners. They also uh, became known, uh, their teachings and their beliefs became known as the law of the Medes and the Persians, who served within the king's palaces. 
And we also recognize from in, in the book of Daniel, throughout the book of Daniel, that uh, the Magi were very evident in Nebuchadnezzar's court. They were esteemed for their amazing intuition, their, their knowledge, and their wisdom. They served in very high, prominent positions within government. And to know this and, and to see it throughout the book of Daniel, there's references to these wise men, to the Magi, and this is an important clue to understanding how the Magi of, the, of, of uh, Jesus' day knew to anticipate his birth. You say, well, how could these wise men, they were cult practitioners, they were, uh, you know, they, they were practicing sorcery and wizardry and divination of dreams and witchcraft and astrology. You know, how could they be connected? What would be the, you know, what's the connection here with them being interested in Jesus being born? Well, in Nebuchadnezzar's court, the Babylonian king, we realize and we, we know from Scripture that he destroyed Israel and its temple, taking the nation into captivity. And this happened around 587 B.C., known as the Babylonian captivity. And Daniel, the book of Daniel records Nebuchadnezzar had, uh, uh, it records him handpicking choice young men of extraordinary wisdom. And he assigned them to serve within the king's palaces. And that's where Daniel was taken in as one of those individuals. And, and the king trained these individuals and groomed them for three years. We have in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 that they were handpicked for this particular purpose, to, to interpret dreams and, and to serve and, and to become wise men. Well, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 is where we have that reference to where Daniel, even though he was taken into captivity and he was hand-chosen by the, by the king to serve the king and to be groomed to serve the king, Daniel purposed in his heart that he's not going to allow himself to be defiled. He's going to stay true to his God. He's going to stay true to his God. And ironically, Daniel making a commitment to stay true to his God in, under intense pressure, intense peer pressure. As a young man, he simply made a commitment, I will not, I will not compromise. And as a result of him not compromising, Daniel ended up making a very favorable impression on the king by doing for the king what the magi, the king's wise men, were supposed to do best, and that is to interpret the king's dreams. When you read throughout the story, you, find, you recognize that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that uh, he was really troubled in his spirit and that the, the, the Magi uh, could not recover the dream, nor could they interpret it. And the king became very angry, and, and, and he ordered all the wise men that were not able to interpret the dream because they couldn't do it. The king ordered all of them, carte blanche, kill them all, Daniel included, Daniel and his friends included. Daniel got word that the king was upset and had put out a decree for everyone to be killed. So Daniel had purpose not to, uh, in his heart not to defile himself. So what he did is he prayed to his God. He prayed to God, and God revealed the king's dream to Daniel along with his interpretation. Daniel ended up revealing the dream to the king and saved not only his life, but the life of the magi. Then in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 48, we have record that Daniel, as a result of being able to interpret this particular dream for the king, 
was promoted as ruler over the whole province of Babylon and became chief administrator over the, all the wise men. All the wise men that I just described to you a few moments ago. Daniel, young Hebrew boy, is now in charge over all of them. So it stands to reason, when you, reckon, when you see it from this perspective, it stands to reason that knowing Daniel's heart, knowing his commitment not to become defiled, knowing his heart and his character, that he sees this opportunity of leadership. He sees this opportunity of being put in charge over all the other wise men. He sees it as an opportunity to instruct these wise men, these occult worshipers, to instruct them to the true and, and, and to teach them and to introduce them to the true and living God. We know that when King Cyrus decreed permission for the return, for the return of the, of the Jews from the Babylonian captivity, that many of them chose to remain behind. History records that many of the Babylonian and Medo and Persian high-ranking officers had, had at least part Jewish ancestry. And this is a clue, uh, this, this, this uh, is a reason we believe that many of the Old Testament teachings and prophecies found their way into the teachings of the wise men, of the Magi. Yes, they were satanic, occult worship, practicing wizardry and sorcery and astrology and so forth, but Daniel's now in charge and Daniel's taken this opportunity in a very ungodly environment to teach about the true and the living God to teach about the true and the living God. So coming back now to, to Matthew chapter 2, we, it starts to uh, shed some light onto verse 3 when it tells us that when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now think about if it was only three strangers, wise men, riding camels coming from the east, why would the king... Why would the king be troubled? I mean, you're not a very secure king if you're troubled by three stranglers coming into your community. I believe it was much more than three. I believe it was at least 50. It might have been a small contingent of an army with them, and they're coming in with great pomp and circumstance. I mean, this is a big deal, the wise men coming into town. And they're also coming into town when Herod's own army is busy, is busy, with the census. So they're scattered all over dealing with the census. And so we recognize that, he, yes, he was troubled, and the root of him being troubled and shaken, he knew that the, that the Magi, that, that they were very influential. Herod also understood that when it comes to king-making, that, that the Magi had a lot of influence in choosing who the next king would be. throughout the entire empire. And this particular uh, Parthian empire that these men were representing were Rome's chief rival. So Herod was very, very intimidated. He's the king, and all of a sudden your, your chief rival is sending in a contingency of people, of, of magi, and he's not understanding why it's going on, and they're coming in and they're inquiring about where is he born king of the Jews? He heard that, king of the Jews, I'm the king. What do you mean, king of the Jews? So he goes into defense mode here, and he begins to, well, he's inquiring where he is, and we find out where he is, and then you let me know where he is because I want to go worship him. Well, you, we know further in the story that he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to take him out. 
So he is very intimidated by everything that's taking place here. And so they arrive on his turf, a small army. While they're preoccupied with the census, Herod is very troubled, and especially hearing that they're looking for the whereabouts of the king of the Jews. In Matthew 2, verse 11, it says, they found, they found him in the house months after his birth. It could be as much as two years after his birth. He didn't find, they didn't come the night of his birth. This was sometime afterward. It was months or possibly two years that, that, that they discovered him. And we also know that, that uh, in verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and they came into the house. In verse 11, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the wise men, they're now in the presence of Jesus. These occult practitioners are now in the presence of the Son of God. And they bring gifts to him. They see him. They fall down and they worship him. And they present gifts to him. Gold, royalty, frankincense, very expensive fragrance. It represents deity. And then myrrh, which is a very unique gift to give a newborn child, but it's an, it's an embalming product, which represents death, which I think was prophetically representing that royalty and deity which has come into this world to take on the sin of the world and to die on our behalf. So it was very prophetic there. But the three gifts were, were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Nothing like what the children's story said here a little while ago. <laughs> Although they're very creative in their imagination, I hear the Bible is clear on it. So we have all this taking place and all this pomp and all this circumstance, they find him, they worship him, they encounter him, and they worship him. Then verse 12 says, then being divinely warned in a dream. So first of all, they were led to the Christ child by a star. The Bible's not clear what that star was, but you know, it's some type of Shekinah glory of God could have been similar to what was um, evident for the children of Israel, the cloud by uh, day and the pillar of fire by night. Whatever that star was, the star was leading them. They were being directed. God was directing them. God is also very interested in your life, always directing us. Our, the key to that is for us to be in tune with how is he directing us? How is he directing us? How is he speaking to us? Who is he bringing into our lives and, uh, to help us to, to, to mold and to shape and, and, and to lead us? And so now they are in his presence. Herod said, when you find him, bring back word to me. I think they thought, well, that's cool. We have no problem with that. But while they are there and they're ready to depart, they are divinely warned. Everyone say divinely warned. Divine. You probably have been divinely warned in your life more times than you can imagine. You may, not have been, you may not have been aware of it at the time, but I'm, I, I can look in my life and I can remember different times when the Holy Spirit, the unction of the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 that's not right. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't be thinking that. Don't even be thinking that. Don't hold that judgment. You're divinely warned. The Holy Spirit is constantly divinely warning us. And just as the wise men paid attention to it, they were divinely warned that they should not return to Herod. So they departed for their own country another way. 
I'm going to say another way. How many people could use another way of life? Another way of doing life? Another way of, you know, just being more productive? Another way of, of uh, just experiencing the grace of God and the peace of God? Another way of what, whatever you want to apply to that, but there's, an, uh, there's another way, and it's known as a God way. And the Holy Spirit of, of the Lord is interested in leading us, guiding us, and directing us into another way. So the Magi from the East, recognizing and worshiping the Savior while his own in the country are clueless. They didn't even know where he was. The old slogan, wise men, still seek him. God's grace on this band of travelers, this band of magi or wise men, fire worshipers, magicians, soothsayers, dream interpreters, experienced the grace of God when they encountered him and they worshiped him. Continue to follow the star in your life, the Holy Spirit, working speaking directly to you or speaking through other people. The star in your life could be another person, someone you, you esteem, someone you respect. You know, Hollywood has their stars. I suggest you might want to look for something a little bit more in the category of Christ following. It's a good way to put that. But there's people in your lives. For me, when I was a young person, it was my, it was my employer very godly man and very interested in my life and very interested in seeing that I make good choices and, and, and take right directions and very influential. And I could see it being a, a just in my life at the right time, at the right season. I consider him one of the stars in my life and, of course, others throughout the years as well. But they were looking, as these wise men, they were very much into wisdom, very much into knowledge. They were the intellects of the day and, and the law of the land. But the good news is, is they still had a, a desire and a drawing to something that was even greater. And they came and they found the Christ child and they departed another way. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Being so intrigued with wisdom having such a hunger for wisdom and knowledge, I believe that's what that hunger really drew them to the true source of wisdom and knowledge, and the Word of God reveals it, that it's in Christ. And we say, in Christ. In Christ is the better way. In Christ is the other way. We try to do things our way. Let's give it over to Christ, and let's depart another way. Christ-like. What would Christ do? That's what I want to do. And my prayer for all of us, that would we be truly, that we would become truly wise as we receive the fullness of Christ into our heart. These men have come, could have been primarily, I, I personally suspect there were some political motives behind this whole uh, traveling to the east, following, you know, to, to inquire about the Christ child, but also believe that they had a hunger and a desire within them because of Daniel's influence upon them in this very ungodly environment. Daniel's influence upon them created a hunger and a thirst within them for a greater power, a greater wisdom, and a greater knowledge than all the wisdom that this world had to 
to offer. And it's that hunger and that thirst and Daniel's influence upon them. Never underestimate your influence in the environment that you're in. Say, so, well, yeah, I could sure use another way. I could use, a, a, I could use a gentler place of employment. I could use a more peaceful neighborhood, or I could, I could this and that. And we think about all the ideal situations. But, you know, I don't think God ever promised you an ideal situation, but he promised that he'd never leave you nor forsake you. He never left Daniel. He never forsook Daniel. Daniel never left nor forsook him. And Daniel, in, right in the middle of very uh, adverse circumstances, purposed in his heart not to defile himself. And as we purpose to, to close out this year and go into a new year, that, hey, we're not going to defile ourselves. We're not going to give up. We're not going to yield to the pressures of, of, of the culture, the pressures of the world system. We're going to stay true to God, and we are making an influence in the environment in the spheres that we are in, whether it feels like it or not. I'm sure when we get an opportunity to talk to Daniel, when we get to heaven, you say, did it really feel like you were making progress among all those wise men, among, among the magi? He would say, you gotta be kidding me. There was such pushback. There was, you know, it was, it was a tough environment. But nonetheless, God's purposes were fulfilled. They found the Christ child and they left another way. The seed that you're sowing in the culture and the sphere that you're in, will never return void. It's incorruptible seed, and it will produce. So stay encouraged in what you've been doing, what you've been sharing, how you've been loving, and continue to love, continue to encourage one another, purpose to be a star in someone's life, and then purpose to be like Daniel. I'm not gonna defile myself, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be obedient, and surrender your life to Christ, for in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Whatever your motive may have been for even being here this morning, whatever your motive for uh, attitudes may have been, you can leave here this morning another way. If you're here today, you never accepted the Christ child as your Lord and Savior. You've never, you've never pursued him. You've never went looking for him. Well, you found him this morning. He's been introduced to you. He's Christ, the Son of God. God sent him into this world because he loves you. God becoming flesh, God taking on the sin of the world that we might be made the righteousness of God. If that's transformation that's never happened in your life, you can leave here a different way. We'd love to pray with you. We call it the prayer unto salvation. It's a prayer we all pray it together. And if you never surrendered your life to God, you never turned yourself over to him and accepted the forgiveness of sin, the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life, you say, I, I don't have it. I never, I've never done that, and I don't know what would happen to me if I were to die. I've heard different things. I have different ideas. Well, you can know that you know that you know that Christ died for your sins and that you are forgiven. And if you will accept the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ, you can know that you have eternity, that you are secure in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to offer to pray that. Does anyone want to be involved in that prayer? You say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Is there someone at all? You say, I haven't done that, but I'd really like to do that this morning. Just slip up your hand right where you're seated. You say, I have never prayed that prayer, but I want to receive Jesus. I'm going to leave here a different way today. All right, I don't see any hands raised, so I trust that you've done that. Continue to grow in that. Continue to uh, 
to draw close to God, continue to come to him, to worship him as your Lord and your Savior. If you have any other need for prayer, some people would be happy to meet you up here and to pray with you. If you have any more questions for Pierce and Nikki, they're going to be in the conference room, which is the last room to your left as you're heading out the lobby. Other night, you have a very, very terrific Christmas. I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for every family. I thank you, Lord God, for supernatural peace, the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior. May that not just be nice songs and nice sayings, but Lord God, may the reality of the Prince of Peace rise up big within us over these next few days as we come together to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Safety among all the travels that are taking place. Your favor be on each one. In Jesus' name, name above all names, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a terrific day. We'll see you on Christmas Eve, which is Tuesday at 5 o'clock. God bless you.